0: Starting a new series today called Louder Than Words. And we're going to kind of look at Christianity from an outsider's perspective and see if we can better understand why lots of folks are not Christ followers, why lots of folks don't go to church. So today we're going to begin this journey through Scripture and we're going to look for some people in Scripture who do things right. And, And really when you talk to people outside the church, the number one issue they have with churches is this. Actions speak louder than words. So we're going to find some people whose actions actually show what they believe. They're completely consistent. So we're going to talk about that today. And three weeks from today, we're going to do something called Be the Church. October 17th, we're not going to go to church that day. We're going to be the church that day. Uh, We're going to go to Eula McCown's house, and we're going to spend a day working at her house. There are like eight teams that you can sign up for. Teams, T-E-A-M-S. One team will mow lawns all day. If you want to be on the lawn mowing team, we need you to bring push lawn mowers, riding lawn mowers. We're going to mow Eula's yard. She lives right uh, next to Memorial Christian Church. We're going to mow Memorial Christian Church's yard. They know that we're going to do that. We're going to go through the neighborhood, and we're going to mow anybody's yard for free that wants us to mow their yard that day uh, in a four-block area. We're going to have a cleanup team. We need some folks to bring some trailers to her neighborhood, and all we're going to do all that day is go around and clean things up uh, all through that uh, neighborhood. There'll be a recreation team for the neighborhood kids, because one of the things we're going to do is have a moon bounce over there and... uh, we're going we're to cook hot dogs and hamburgers and we're going to invite the entire neighborhood to come over and, and eat for free between 12 and 1 o'clock that day. So we also need a cooking team. Um, so we need some folks here that are going to cook because we're going to have children's church here 11 o'clock at the regular time. They're the only ones that are going to get to go to church that day through fourth grade. If you're fifth grade on up, you can actually serve in the neighborhood with this stipulation. You have to serve with your parent. If you are fifth grade, on up. Now, some of the teenagers may be on the recreation team. We want to have a safe place where all of the kids in that neighborhood can come and have a good time uh, and get some free food. On Saturday, we're going to go out and we're going to pass out flyers in the neighborhood telling them what we're going to be doing on Sunday and invite everybody to come. So it's going to take quite a a team to accomplish all this. We're going to have a landscaping team at Eula's house. And we need you to bring, uh, if you sign up for that, we need you to bring your tools we're going to do a complete uh, detailed job on all of her bushes, all of her shrubs, all of her trees. And if we finish at Eula's house, then we're going to go through the rest of the neighborhood and offer the same thing. We'll have a deck fence repair team where we got to put up a few boards of her fence. We're going to sand her deck and we're going to repaint the deck that day. So if you want to be on that team, be sure and sign up there. We'll have another team here at the church for the child care, So we need at least two shifts here at church. Because we're going to provide childcare from 11 a.m. They'll come in and do their regular class. They're going to feed them lunch here. They're going to swap out. The younger kids will go out. We're going to have a moon bounce here and a uh, slide, one of those inflatable slide things. The, uh, so somebody's clicking something. It's bothering. I think it's my daughter. Are you clicking? Okay. <laughs> it's not. Somebody. Okay, Quick clicking. Um. So we're going to need two shifts of folks here. If you, if you work the first shift, you'll do the regular childcare area back there. If you work the second shift, then the younger kids are going to go out first and they're going to be on the inflatable games. And then they're going to come back in and they're going to have some quiet time, the younger kids, in case they need naps or things like that. And the older kids will go out second to the inflatable games. Uh, so you can sign up for that team. Um, Eula's source of heat in the winter is a wood-burning stove. So we need five men on Saturday, October 16th who have chainsaws or can get a chainsaw. We have a massive donated tree I don't even know where it is. The leader of the team is going to meet you here at 8 o'clock on Saturday, and the tree is so massive that we're not going to cut up the trunk of the tree. We're going to cut the branches. The branches are so big that they're going to provide logs that will give her enough fuel for the whole winter. So five men on that Saturday, and preferably you have trucks or trailers because that's how we're going to get it over to her house. On Saturday the 16th, you're going to go and you're going to cut up this, this tree, put all the logs in the truck, take it to Eula's house, and then on Sunday, we're going to have a log-splitting team. And the log-splitter is provided... If you want to bring them all and and go and show how big and bad you are, go ahead. We will film it. And and we will laugh at you and cheer you on. Um, But we'll have a log splitting team so you can sign up for that. If you want to do that on Saturday, be sure and let me know that you want to go on Saturday. Now, what started all of this was we were going to do some roof repairs at Eula's house. Eula has five layers of shingles on her house. Because she has five layers of shingles, because she just paid off her mortgage, insurance company canceled her insurance. They said, we can't insure a house that has five layers of shingles on it. Now, this, is, this has grown bigger than any of us ever imagined. And here's what I believe. I believe God wants to replace Eula's roof. That's bigger than our church. And so some of y'all are going to be involved in that somehow. I, kind of, I mentioned this last week at um, Experiencing God. God's already doing some stuff and, and so we don't know how it's going to happen, but we believe God's going to replace Eula's roof on, if not on that weekend, sometime right around that time. Um, we're checking city ordinances. We're checking with contractors. We're doing all kinds of stuff. Now, some of you, you're thinking, why in the world would you do something like this? Well, believe it or not, there are clues in this book. And we're going to look at a big fat clue today about how to put your faith in action and live what you really say you believe. Now, let's, let's consider this first clue. If you were to see, this is the first picture down there, Ashley. If you were to see this picture when you're driving down the road, not that one. It should be the detour picture. Sorry, that one's coming up in a minute. There we go. I, I probably put it in the wrong place. That's a pretty cool detour picture, isn't it? You're driving down the road and you see a detour sign or you see another sign that says, take your normal route. Be completely honest with me. Can you take these lights down a little bit, Jeff? I can't see very well out there. How many of you would take your normal route? If you had a choice, you would take your normal route. All right? There's, how many of you are lying to me? Okay. A lot of people take your normal route. Now, how many of you, just because you're the adventurous sort, you would take the detour? Let me see your hands. Okay, very few. Janie used to laugh when I'd go see her in college. She lived three hours away from me when we were engaged and I would take a different route every time because I was trying to find the fastest way home. It wasn't it didn't have anything to do with scenery. It's just the absolute fastest way to get home. Now, what if I told you, those of you who said you'd take the detour, what if I told you that the detour would cost you time and money and frustration? How many of you would willingly take the detour? Let me see your hands. Still Charlie. She's done it. Yeah, sure enough. What if I told you, though, that God works almost exclusively in the detours of life? If I told you that you could meet the God of the universe on a detour, would you be willing to take a detour? Well, we're going to look at a detour today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. And by the way, I I, I encourage you to bring your Bibles. I have Bibles that I've written notes in for years, and it's a blast for me to go back and see what I've been learning. So bring your Bibles. If you have yours, follow along in Luke chapter 10. If you don't, it's not a big deal. We're going to put it on the screen for you. Let's read this. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, Do this and you will live. Now, this is a big deal. This expert, these experts who lived at that time in religious law were regarded as community leaders. These were like the the highest in the community in the eyes of the Jewish people. And they had three basic responsibilities that they carried out in that society number one was to explain the requirements of the old testament law at this time all they had was the old testament law Uh, the old testament was all that was written and the law was considered the first five books of the old testament genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy moses wrote those and so the experts their number one job was to interpret the law for ordinary people like you and me Second thing they were supposed to do was they were to keep alive the uh, the memory of the prophets. And so you've got a lot of prophets in the Old Testament. There's actually a section called the prophets, and it's Daniel and Amos and Obadiah and all these guys. The second job of a religious expert was to make sure that everyone knew about these prophets. The third job of a religious expert was to gather students around them, train them to interpret the law so that they could carry on the traditions of the Jewish people. So this expert shows up, and he calls Jesus teacher. Now, he was being respectful, but actually what he was doing was he was testing this untrained, very popular teacher, and he was trying to ask him a a theological question that would show Jesus, expose him as a fraud, not worth following. But Jesus doesn't take the bait. Jesus turns around and he says, well, um, you're the expert. How do you read the law? And the expert who's been trained in seminary can't can't wait to display his knowledge. Now, to his credit, he gives a great answer. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. The second commandment is like it, Jesus said later, and love your neighbors yourself. And so Jesus, who was the teacher in this situation, grades the expert. And he says, A plus for that answer. And don't you know, the religious expert was like, yes! If only Jesus had stopped there. Because then Jesus kind of points out the real problem in this dude's life. And he says, do it and you will live. Not know it and you will live. Do it and you will live. And see, Jesus points out the problem. The the expert was an expert in knowing, not doing. Jesus is saying it's not enough to know the right answer. You got to do it. It's kind of like this college student I read about, 29 year old college student who, um, his name was Johnny. He graduated from the University of Wisconsin Whitewater after being a full time student for 12 years. Yes, I said that right. Full time student for 12 years. When interviewed, he said he would stay longer, but here's the quote I'm just broke. I've got no more money. Trust me, if I had the money, I'd stay longer. The schedule's laid back. You're around all kinds of educated people. We're all just broke college kids too. It's not like the real world. Kind of sounds like a lot of Christians I know. Tons of head knowledge. Tons of Bible study. Zero action to back up what they say they believe. And Jesus says, um, you don't have any street credibility if you don't do what you already know. In fact, in James, James is the half-brother of Jesus. This is a book in the New Testament. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this, anyone who doesn't breathe is dead. Faith that doesn't do anything is just as dead. So college students who go to school full-time with the idea of never graduating, they're dead to society because really college is not the real world. When I graduated, I found out what the real world was. And, and when mom and dad are paying tuition and you you got a roommate, that's not the real world. Christians who do not live like Christ are dead to the kingdom of God because you're useless. So, round one is over. Who won round one? The, the religious expert or Jesus? Jesus. Let's move on to round two. Verse 29. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Okay, so Jesus wastes him in round one, but in true lawyerly fashion, this dude gets up off the mat and he says, it depends on your definition of neighbor. What's your definition of neighbor? Because in the Jewish mind, a neighbor meant one who was close to you, um, either race or religion. And so, in a Jewish mind, if someone was like you, a Jew, and if they followed your religion, then then they were considered a neighbor. But if they weren't like you, you didn't have to carry out the law if they weren't a Jew and they didn't follow you. Now, put up that W.C. Fields uh, picture. How many of y'all know who W.C. Fields is? This is way showing my age because, like, he was just on the verge, you know, of when I was growing up. He was... Very famous comedian, actor, writer, all this stuff. But he wasn't the nicest guy in the world. And he had a drinking problem that eventually cost him his life. And and he didn't like um, people very much. He, I think he liked the, uh, the 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 perks of being a celebrity, but he didn't like the, the people when he was a celebrity. Because they said that folks used to come to tour Hollywood and when they would come to his house, he would hide in the bushes with a pellet gun and shoot them. Um, his characters, and they said that the characters tended to reflect his life. His characters showed absolute contempt for women, children, and dogs. Dude hated Christmas, hated it. And, and in a bit of irony, he died on Christmas Day. But he was, he was in the hospital on his deathbed because of alcohol-related stomach problems. Not a nice guy at all. And so when a friend comes to visit him, they see him reading the Bible. Do you think that surprised the friend? Sure. The friend says, why are you doing that? Famous quote, W.C. Fields. He said, I'm looking for loopholes. Aren't we all? Wouldn't we all like to uh, have a Bible that says, do whatever you want to do and you will live? Well, the lawyer knew that the second highest command was to love your neighbor as yourself, but he was looking for a loophole that would help him not to have to love everyone story continues in verse 30. Jesus replied with this story. A a Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, and this is a Levite, if you have it in your Bible, it probably says Levite, looked at him lying there, but also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine. The olive oil would keep the skin from getting cracked and and hard. The wine would—the alcohol in the wine would help purify the, the injuries and keep them from getting infected, and he bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Again, A plus. And Jesus says, yes. Now go and do the same. All right, let's break this story down just a little bit. You got a group of robbers and you got a man who was robbed and and beaten and left half dead. Now, you have a priest who comes by. And I told you the office of priest was one of the supreme offices in in jerusalem in israel it was a high rank they represented people before god they offered the sacrifices before god so this was a high ranking position the second character is a levite levites weren't quite as high as the priests but they would prepare all of the stuff for the services and they were protectors of the temple so they were right up there second behind the priests and and at this point if you were a if you were a jew You expect Jesus to say, okay, the highest religious leaders in the land passed by. They didn't offer any help. The next highest religious leader in the land, he walks by, doesn't offer any help. And if you're a good common Jew, you're expecting Jesus to say, and next, an ordinary, everyday Jew comes by and saves the day. And Jesus says, a Samaritan. That would be like saying, along came Papa Bear and then Mama Bear. And lastly came a skunk. A skunk. Now, the reason I say that is because the Samaritans were despised by the Jewish people. About 700 years before, the Assyrians had attacked. And and when they conquered Jerusalem and Israel, what they did was they would take a lot of the people who lived there, put them in other places, and then they would send good Assyrians to live in that land so that they could help assimilate the land. Jewish people were commanded not to intermarry with other races. What happened in this situation was the Jews began to marry the Assyrians and they started having all kinds of strange religious practices. So a Jew looked at a Samaritan as a half-breed and they hated them. The religious um, and, and racial intolerance was, was intense and at times it was extremely violent. So when Jesus said, as Samaritan shows up, he rocked their world. And by using the Samaritan as a hero, Jesus was saying this, It doesn't matter what you call yourself. A lot of people call themselves Christians who aren't. George Barna is a Christian pollster. He found out that 84% of Americans claim to be Christ followers. But I ask you, do 8 out of 10 people in our world act like Christians? A Christ follower is supposed to be a little Christ. Do 8 out of 10 people act like little Christs in this world? I don't think so. The story of this surprising Samaritan shows us some incredible things, some some things we need to understand about detours. And here they are. Number one, detours are risky. How many of you have heard of uh, Telluride, Colorado? I so want to go there after after coming up with with some of this. It's a ski resort in Colorado, not far from Durango. It's over in, in that area. Now, Telluride sits in a box canyon. I got some pictures that I wanted to, to show you. Um, first picture down there at the bottom, Ashley. Now, you can see the city there. There are only three ways into Telluride. One is Colorado Road 145. Normal people take Colorado Road 145 because that's, that's the, a highway that's maintained by the state of Colorado. Show the next picture. All right, so you're looking down in the valley and you see that these are pretty, pretty tough mountains that are all around it. Last picture, leave, and leave that one up there just a second. See the mountainous region? If you look real closely down there, you can see right in the middle there, just to the right of middle, you can see the city. Now, there are two other ways to get into Telluride, Colorado. One is called Imogene Pass. I was reading about this and it says, one should have four-by-four four experience before attempting Imogene Pass... And then it says, quote, she should not be taken lightly. So you can get in by Imajean Pass. There's another one called Black Bear Pass. And it is, quote, Colorado's most dangerous pass. It is only passable in one direction because of a treacherous stair-step section. Now, I, I tell you this because back in the Wild West days, Telluride was such a haven for robbers that the name of the city actually came from this contraction, To Hell You Ride. If you went into To Hell You Ride, you were taking your life in your own hands because unsavory people lived in the hills and would take anything from you of value. Now, in Jesus' day, 2,000 years before To Hell You Ride was ever a thought in in the American West, Jerusalem had a similar... Reputation. Only instead of to hell you ride, the road out of Jerusalem, Jerusalem was up on a mountain, and it always says in the Bible that you either go up to Jerusalem or it says they went down out of Jerusalem because it's up on a mountain. Only its road wasn't called to hell you ride. Its road was called the way of blood because the robbers who hung out in those mountainous uh, cracks and crevices, cracks and crevices, caverns, canyons, we'll just keep... The people who hung out there were ruthless and they would rob you. And if you didn't have money, they would take your clothes. The way of blood. So when the Samaritan stops to help a dude on the side of the road who's not even his race or religion. You see, the Samaritans worshipped. They were were Jewish, kind of. They worshipped at at Mount Gerizim. They had their own place to worship instead of at Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But when he was stopping to help someone who despised him, this was dangerous. It could cost him his life. Now, I'm I'm not talking about you stopping in places, you know, where you see those signs near prisons that say, please do not pick up hitchhikers. And you see some dude in an orange jumpsuit with a mask on and a chainsaw. That's kind of stupid. You pick him up, even if he's carrying a case of Bud Light or whatever the commercial is on TV, you're asking for trouble, right? I'm not talking about that. But taking, taking too much risk isn't really our problem, is it? Our problem is we don't take any risks at all for the kingdom of God. Martin Luther King Jr. said, the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But then he continues, the good Samaritan asks, he reversed the question and asks, if I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? If I put money in the joy basket at church, what will happen to me? I can't possibly trust the God who created the universe to meet my needs. You got to be on some kind of drugs preacher to think that not only would people give 10% of their income to God, but the bagel basket? Thank you. You really think anybody is going to give over and above 10% to help pay off the debt of this building? You're nuts because what will happen to me if I give a portion of my income to the kingdom of God? What will happen to me? And the Samaritan said, what will happen to people if I don't? And you see a level of maturity in him that the Jews didn't even display. And you see a level of maturity in Christians who say, if I don't support God's kingdom, what's going to happen to people who are outside the walls? That's why we started the church. Oh, if, if I come to a Bible study on Sunday nights, what will happen to me? If you don't, what will happen to others? If eight out of ten Americans really took some risks for the kingdom of God, do you think that our country would be in the trouble that it's in? No. No it look quite different second thing you need to know about detours from this story detours take time and money we conducted our own experiment today watch this short video and then we'll talk about it Where's Becky? Where is she? Stand up, Auntie Beck. This is my sister-in-law. Everybody say hi, Becky. Hi, Becky. Hello, wind. Now, um, so if I'm reading this correctly, we handed cards. How many of y'all saw her on the side of the road? Go ahead and admit it. How many of you stopped to help? Okay, now some of you were in the same car because seven... For seven folks who come to our church stopped to help. We gave out little cards that says, "Thank you for being a part of our experiment today on kindness. Thank you for stopping." Seven non-church members stopped. So you invited them. Good <laughs> job. And what does this mean? Number of members four turned back to help. Well, they went on path- Okay, so some folks went on past and came back around. This is really funny because I was stepping outside the church today and and Jennifer Cannaday, who didn't know anything about this, and she's got four children, you know, she's trying, and she's like, hey, there's a lady broken down over there. Like, you should go do something. (laughs) And I was like, oh, really? Okay, where is she? She's over there. So um, thank you for uh, being a part of our experiment today. How many of you wish you'd stopped? (laughs) ha, ha, ha. I think it was Princeton University. I may be quoting this wrong. Um, they did a study on the Good Samaritan with, with seminary students at Princeton Theological Seminary. They gave them the story and told them that they were to prepare a talk on the Good Samaritan. And then they put a bum in the alleyway between the building they were in and where they were supposed to go deliver their talk. They had asked all these seminarians, why are you in seminary? And, and some of them said, I'm here because I want to make a difference in people's lives. Some of them said, you know, I just want to learn more about God and, and following God. And so here's what they did. They sent them from the one building to the other where they would have to walk past the bum. Some of them actually stepped over the bum. How many seminarians do you think stopped to help the bum? Ten percent. And they figured out that some of them they said, Oh, your talk starts in two minutes. You better hurry. None of the people who were in a hurry stopped to help. Now, what this tells me is sometimes we get so caught up in our own world, even going to church to meet with God, that we don't stop. Now, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just saying we don't pay attention And and sometimes detours are way too costly in time and money and we can't possibly go that route because it's just going to cost too much. But what if God is out there on that detour? The Samaritan must have been a businessman who regularly made this trip and he took a detour that cost him time and money in order to meet someone else's needs. Well, I can't possibly give up a few minutes to help a lady I don't know. Cost is just too much time and money. I might miss watching the Cowboys lose again. I might be late to the buffet lunch. The Methodists might beat us. When I was growing up, that was the thing. I'm serious. I grew up in a Baptist church and the preacher would get in trouble if he didn't let us out before the Methodists so we could all rush to the restaurants and have someone serve us on the Lord's Day. I might have to give up my afternoon nap. The cost is just too much. What will happen to me if I treat people like a neighbor? But let me caution you because that's number three is detours are where you're going to find God. The most significant events in my life have happened on detours. When sometimes not of my choosing, I wind up on a detour and I run into God. And, and sometimes God wants you to slow down, you know, because we're supposed to slow down and meet with God one time a week in church. The Bible's very clear about that. Do not give up the habit of meeting together as some are doing, but encourage one another and all the more in, in Hebrews ten 24. We're supposed to meet with God on a daily basis. And uh, I suppose sometimes we just get to moving too fast. And here's the thing, if you are moving so fast that you don't have time for God, God's probably going to allow some things to happen in your life. Because I go visit folks in the hospital and I've talked to people who are laying flat on their back and they said, well, God got my attention now because I have nowhere else to go. And so if you don't have time for God, there's going to be a time in your life when you're going to wish you had made time for God. I'm not saying he's going to make you land flat on your back, but he might. God's going to allow you to go through some things. And see, here, too much time without God leaves us stressed, selfish, angry, frustrated, longing for more in life than what we're currently experiencing. Does that describe any of y'all? Look, wait a minute, Here's, here it is. Stressed, selfish, angry, frustrated, longing for more in this life. Does that describe any churches you know of? Why would anyone venture in a to-hell-you-ride church when they live on the to hell you ride road every day. Our churches are no different than, than country clubs many times. So why would anybody want to go there? Truth is they don't. And that's why many churches are in decline today. Let me give you just a quick little test to, to see if you need to take more detours in your life. You remember the main question that this, this uh, expert in religious law, you remember what he asked Jesus? What is your definition of neighbor? Jesus turns it around. And he says, what kind of neighbor are you? Would you want you to be the only one coming down a lonely road to give you some help? Would you want you to be the neighbor living next door whenever you go through some to hell you ride experiences? What kind of neighbor are you? Is what Jesus wants us to get out of this passage. You can't stay on your normal path. You cannot take the normal path and go with God at the same time. Those of us who are studying experiencing God on Sunday nights, it's one of the things we're figuring out. Is you cannot go with God and stay where you are at the same time. It is impossible. And we're trying to find a group of people who want to go with God more than they want to remain comfortable. Detours are risky. They take time and money, but it's where God is at work. And if you want to live a life of significance like the Good Samaritan... You're going to have to take some detours. God calls us to do more than manage our to-do lists. And we're just wondering if anybody's going to take that challenge. So we're taking a huge risk on October 17th because a lot of folks are like, oh, we're not having church. Sweet, party, go somewhere. We want to have at least 100 people in Eula's neighborhood wearing their I've discovered new life shirts. Sharing the love of Christ. And in fact, we're even going to do some stuff for Memorial Christian Church, and we're going to invite people to come to Memorial Christian Church. How would a church do that? Are you crazy? Memorial's been struggling. What if God used us to spark a resurgence in Memorial Christian Church? Would that be too cool? So we're going to do some stuff outside of our church. And and here's the deal, on that Sunday, if you're a church member, a regular attender, we're going to have people out in the parking lot with joy buckets, because I'm going to tell you something, some folks think if they don't go to church, they don't have to give, We, we can't go a Sunday without you contributing. So we're going to have you drive through and we're going to have buckets out there and you you chunk your stuff in the bucket and then go serve Jesus. If you're a guest, we never ask for a dime of your money. We owe, You come work with us and nobody's going to ask you to do anything other than serve that day. We want at least 100 people walking around that neighborhood serving because on that day, on on that Sunday afternoon, October 17th, when you go home, I want you and I want the people of that neighborhood talking about what an incredible God we serve. I don't want anybody talking about how good new life is. That's not the point. The point is we want to serve God in a neighborhood and just see what happens. And we want Him to get all the glory.